Welcome to Fresh Press, the Lincoln Journal-Star News Podcast. I'm Zach Plahachek. It's Thursday, April 12th, and we're discussing the death penalty. What you're about to hear is an interview, actually, from last week with Todd Lancaster, a defense attorney with the Nebraska Commission on Public Advocacy, as well as with Amy Miller, uh, legal director with ACLU of Nebraska. Both of you uh, have uh, an involvement in this, but kind of from different, not sides, but different perspectives. Um, Todd, why don't you tell us a little bit about your involvement? Sure. Uh, The Commission on Public Advocacy, we get appointed to represent uh, people all over the state of Nebraska. Uh, We do a lot of uh, homicide cases, murder cases. Uh, Our office has done a lot of uh, the cases in which the state has sought a death sentence. Um, So we've done a, a number of those um, you know just just to get it out there a lot of people think anybody that kills somebody can get a death sentence and that's not true you can only get a death sentence if you're convicted of first-degree murder which is intentionally purposely uh, killing another person with malice um, and deliberation versus second-degree murder which is just intentionally killing somebody um, so you can only get a death sentence if you're convicted of first-degree murder and the state proves certain aggravators. And there's a whole list of them in the statute. And it's things like have a prior history of uh, substantial history of assaultive behavior. You've killed somebody previously. You're killing somebody for money, a higher, high, higher killing type thing. Uh, you kill multiple people at the same time. The killing is particularly, particularly heinous, atrocious, atrocious, and cruel. There's this list of things that if the state can prove one or more of those, then that case is qualified to be a potential death sentence. And then the, the defendant has a chance to put on aggra- or mitigating circumstances, which are reasons why he shouldn't get a death sentence. Um, so the only cases that really can get a death sentence are first-degree murders in which aggravators have been found. Um, we can no longer kill people for things like sexual assault. Uh, the Supreme Court of the United States has said pretty clearly the only type of cases that can get a death sentence are those cases in which somebody else has been killed. What people would commonly know of as premeditated murder, is that fair? Does right. It, okay. Correct. Okay. And also you can get, Nebraska has this weird, well most states have, what's called the felony murder rule. So if you commit a robbery or an arson or a kidnapping, and in the commission of those particular crimes, if somebody dies, you can be convicted of first degree murder, even if you never intended to kill somebody. And with that type of conviction for felony murder, you can also get a death sentence, even though you never intended to kill somebody. You intended to hold up a, a gas station. Somebody has a heart attack while you're doing that. You can be convicted of first-degree murder and potentially get a death sentence. And Todd, you, how, how many clients do you personally have who are either facing the death penalty or have been, have been sentenced to death? Um, I currently, our office has two, two cases where the state is seeking a death sentence. In one case, it's uh, Dr. Uh, Anthony Garcia in Omaha. Um, we're waiting for uh, the mitigation hearing in that case. The other case that we uh, are involved in is Patrick Schroeder, who uh, pled guilty to killing his cellmate in Tecumseh. He has um, fired the commission as his attorney so he could plead guilty. He's fired us again because he doesn't. he wants to proceed without an attorney for the aggravation and mitigation stage. Um, so we have two cases right now that are, are involving the death penalty. I've personally worked on or tried or been part of three death penalty trials. 
One was Jose Sandoval, who's on death row. Another one was Melissio Camacho. Um, we went to trial, he was found guilty. The state found an aggravating circumstance. And then the, the, the panel of judges gave him a life sentence. And also uh, Mr. Oliveria in Omaha, uh, same thing, the Brazilian case trial. They found aggravators and the panel gave him a life sentence instead of death sentence. Um, and Amy, tell us a little bit about your involvement in this and, and some of the cases related to the death penalty that you've been engaged in. Yeah, you know, the ACLU is a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization with one job, protect the Constitution. So I'm a civil attorney. I don't take criminal cases, and I don't have the high level of expertise that the attorneys at the commission have. But we have several cases pending on um, civil attacks on the death penalty scheme in Nebraska. One of them that we filed last year was challenging Governor Ricketts' involvement in bringing the death penalty back. As you and your listeners probably know, the state legislature, with strong bipartisan support, uh, abolished the death penalty, overrode the governor's veto, and the governor then called a press conference and said that he would do everything he needed to to bring the death penalty back. He had his staff involved with the ballot initiative and significant funding involvement and um, fundraising letters signed with his title. We've sued saying that's a separation of powers problem. The reason you have your three branches of government is the governor as an executive member has his opportunity to persuade during the legislative session. He used his executive power to veto. He can't turn around and take that back to the people. A random nonprofit or a random group of citizens can, but not the governor. He was already wearing that hat and he had used the extent of his power. So that case is pending right now um, on behalf of several of the members of Nebraska's death row saying that when the legislature abolished the death penalty, that still should be the state of the law. But it's possible that if the court were to find the governor's involvement was not improper, our second claim there is when the legislature transformed those men's sentences to life, they're now life sentences. In other words, maybe the death penalty did come back when the voters voted it in, but for the 11 men that were on death row at the time, they now have life sentences. So that case is pending. We also have an open records lawsuit that's been filed, and I should acknowledge that we are working in partnership with the Nebraska Media Association, including, including the Lincoln Journal yeah. Star. We have done open records requests for the last four or five years trying to get more information about where the drugs have been purchased from, uh, the quality of the drugs, uh, the training um, and the communications as the State Department of Corrections has tried to secure lethal injection material. And for years the Nebraska Department of Corrections has been providing it. That's why there has been ample news coverage on the scandals like Nebraska purchasing drugs from an unair conditioned apartment in Mumbai, India. Nebraska sending uh, tens of thousands of dollars to con artists who never mailed back drugs. And there's just been scandal after scandal around their efforts to buy drugs. And we know that all thanks to our very robust state open records law. Nebraska values transparency and we have one of the strongest open records laws in the country. Last fall, right on the heels of announcing that they had switched to new for a drug protocol that has never been tested on a human being, Nebraska also denied the open records requests made by the media associations and the ACLU, saying they decided that the invoices and the purchase orders were now confidential and could not be shared with the public. 
We've sued, saying that if there is going to be a death penalty, it has to happen in the light of day, especially with a scandal-ridden department that has embarrassingly put their foot in it multiple times, violated federal law, and had to have their drugs seized in the past. So there is an obscenity, I think, when you have decided you want to move forward with such a somber act as taking a human life, but you've also asked people, trust us, we got it right this time after multiple failures. Our third lawsuit that was filed just uh, last week um, in the uh, very end of March, if you're listening to this many days from now, <laughs> is an Administrative Procedures Act challenge. Anytime there's a new regulation passed, the state has to put out public information, have a hearing, members of the public can comment, and then the rule can be promulgated. It's a way, again, to ensure transparency and to make sure that before rules and regulations are passed, that the state is taking all positions into consideration. This challenge was filed on behalf of Senator Ernie Chambers and Reverend Steve Griffith, who is a longtime opponent to the death penalty. They both tried to participate in the process. They went down, they tried to look at the materials that were supposed to be available, required by state law, and they tried to testify at the public hearing. But the state didn't dot their I's and cross their T's. They didn't make available all the materials that were supposed to be made available. And so how can you say that it was a robust process? We've sued on their behalf saying that with an improperly passed regulation that there should not be any future executions. That's a long-winded answer. We have three lawsuits pending, and we filed an administrative complaint with the federal DEA, the Drug Enforcement Agency, Although the state has refused our open records requests, the materials that we did have from previous requests we've provided to experts who've reviewed them and said, it looks to them as if Nebraska still may not be properly licensed. Nebraska has applied for licenses from the DEA to administer drugs for the purposes of their hospital. They have not asked for permission to administer drugs for the purposes of killing someone in the death chamber, which sounds a little picky, picky, <laughs> But it turns out federal law is very, very concerned about these things. Um, and so in the same way that if you thought that your neighbor down the street had a meth lab, you would call the police. We think the State Department of Corrections is handling their drugs improperly. We call the feds. Now, we don't know yet whether the feds will take action. We don't know whether or not the feds will investigate and find that there's more documents that we don't have access to. But we remain hopeful that with federal intervention, Regardless of what happens with these cases, it's possible that they will just seize the drugs, which they've done in the past. Nebraska and other states have had their drugs taken by the DEA for violations of this sort. So we've been very active on pretty much anything we can do <laughs> that's not actually in the realm that the commission is, which is one-on-one -on -one representation in the criminal appeals. So before we go any further into the, the details of, of the specific appeals, um, I'm, I'm interested in both of you kind of answering, a, I guess it's one simple question, and that is, um, it's a two-parter. <laughs> um, you know, these people, these people killed people and the voters of Nebraska decided that they should be sentenced to death for it, um, or, or that that should exist so that they can be sentenced to death. How do you, Todd, um, defend people who are killers? And Amy, how do you justify challenging a process that the voters have spoken on? Well, one of the things I do, I go into court all the time where people are charged with first-degree murder, and not everybody's 
has their case as a potential death penalty case. One of the problems with the death penalty in Nebraska and everywhere else that I see is that the decision that's made about who they're going to seek a death sentence on is completely arbitrary. It's put in the hands of the local county attorney and it results in a process in Nebraska and nationwide in which it matters more what county you're in and who the prosecutor is whether the state seeks a death sentence. So if you have a, identical crimes in Omaha or uh, Sydney, Nebraska, the prosecutor in Omaha may seek a death sentence because he's got more experience, he's got more resources, um, whereas a prosecutor somewhere else may not file that because they don't want to have their county pay for the cost of a, a death penalty case, which is extremely expensive. So when people say, well, first degree murder, um, the death penalty is a law, they should get that, that penalty. Well, if it's being decided arbitrarily on who's going to, the state's going to seek a death sentence for, it seems wrong. Um, and that's what's happening around the state. Uh, the other problem also is that since 2002, when it's up to prosecutors to determine who they're going to seek a death sentence for, it has become clearly on the face of it, it looks like there's a racial bias. The people we put on death row since 2002, when it became the decision of the prosecutor, I think there's eight of them and seven of them are, are black or Hispanic. If you look at the cases where aggravators are being filed throughout the state, it's that same ratio. It's being, it's being filed more against people of color. Um, I'm not saying prosecutors are doing that because they're a racist or, or anything like that. That just, just seems to be what's happening. Um, I can't assign malicious motive to that, but by just looking at it, that appears that's happening. So if, if a voter says, hey, we have first degree murder, and we have the death penalty, we should use it. Well, it should be used fairly throughout the state, and it's clearly not being used fairly throughout the state. And those decisions on who they file against can be influenced by all kinds of factors. You know, as I mentioned, experience of the prosecutor, uh, the resources of the county, um, it's clearly influenced by political uh, factors as well. Um, you know, Governor Heidemann sent a letter to Don Klein saying, I think you should seek the death penalty against Nico Jenkins. So when the governor's coming in and telling prosecutors this is what you should do, it's clearly based on a political motive, it seems to me. Um, so it seems that if we have first degree murder in the death penalty, it should be done fairly, and it apparently is not being done fairly. I mean, just from looking at the evidence I see. Um, so that's one of the things I would respond to, <laughs> yeah. to the public, but also the, the death penalty is very different in that no other crime do we, you know, if you kill somebody, we're gonna show you that's wrong by killing you. If somebody rapes somebody, we don't say the punishment for that is we're gonna have you raped. If, you know, there's a crime where somebody steals your property the punishment isn't the state goes and steals your house. First degree murder with the death penalty is very unique in that we have this idea it should be eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but only in homicide cases, only in first degree murder cases, where we don't do that in any other type of crime. So again, why, why should it be different for first degree murder than it is for any other crime? Why do we have a different type of penalty that we don't even use any other crime? Maybe some people would say, wait, well, maybe we should. Maybe we should execute people for sexual assault, but we can't. That's not what the law allows. Um, so it just seems that 
the death penalty to me is very arbitrary and biased racially and geographically. And Amy, um, tell us, uh, you, you know, you're, you're through procedural arguments mostly challenging this thing that fundamentally people in Nebraska have said, you know, we think the death penalty is should be there. Do you, uh, how do you, how do you explain that? You know, we understand that people of good conscience can have differing opinions about issues like the death penalty, but fundamentally, as a constitutional rights organization, we don't take the rights that are guaranteed to all of us by the Bill of Rights and put it to majority vote. There is no process by which your constitutional rights get to decide on whether or not you have enough people to vote for you to retain those constitutional rights. The Eighth Amendment of the Constitution says there shall be no cruel or unusual punishment. We think there is nothing more cruel or unusual than imposing death, especially when you have the um, inequities that Todd is describing and when it's a flawed system. I think one reason that we saw a bipartisan unicameral, right, it was not being led by people who were super sympathetic to people who committed murder. The movement and the death penalty in Nebraska was being led uh, by faith leaders who said from our religious perspective, um, everyone is capable of redemption and it belongs to God to make these decisions. We saw fiscal conservatives who said, this is a flawed policy, right? It's a state program that's not working because it's not deterring future crime and it costs us a lot. And we saw a lot of people who were very concerned about the fairness of the system. So I have only one statistic that I want to be boring about today. Um, in America, in the modern era from 76 to uh, present, there have been 1,472 executions. Rounded up and call it 1,500 executions. In that same time period, there have been 161 exonerations from death row. People who had been sentenced to die, some of whom had an execution date, and at the last minute, through usually DNA evidence, they proved they were innocent and managed to pull them off. Now, I'm not a math major, but that works out to about 10% failure rate. And if I were to invite you to get into my car and said, but one time out of 10, my car blows up and kills everyone inside of it, you wouldn't get in my car. And a government program that has one out of 10 fail rate, where we almost executed someone that we now know is innocent, that's too horrifying of systemic failures. It comes from law enforcement, it comes from county attorneys, sometimes it comes from defense mistake, sometimes judge or jury error. No matter where the failure is, most of our state legislatures saw you can't have a public policy that has the risk of executing an innocent person. So you don't take these issues to the public public can vote on whether or not there should be a helmet law. The public can vote what the uh, speed limit should be. But these fundamental constitutional rights, they belong in the hands of the court system or the legislature, not majority democratic vote. So obviously for the two of you, since you practice in front of the courts, you're familiar with that because the whole, I think, purpose of the court is to sort of step aside from public opinion and act as sort of an insulator for, for government. Um, I don't I'm not a constitutional scholar, but that's my understanding. Um, within the courts, I mean, what what avenues are left? You have at this very moment, we have a, a death warrant being sought by the state. Um, you know, what what uh, what avenues are left for that person? Uh, what avenues are left for people on death row in general, or people who oppose the death penalty? What can you do? I, I think right now in Nebraska. And this is also nationwide. Is is the issue of this uh, 
uh, four-drug cocktail that the state's going to use to execute somebody. It's never been used before. It's four drugs that have never been used in combination to execute somebody. Um, Nebraska basically adopted the lethal injection protocol that Nevada had, which uses diazepam, which is basically Valium, um, and fentanyl, which is a synthetic opioid, and then a paralytic. That's what they used in, or have in Nevada. And then Nebraska added um, potassium chloride, which basically stops somebody's heart. That's one of the old drugs that you, we used to use as well. Now, these drugs, it's, it's unclear whether this combination of drugs will actually kill somebody. Certainly you can have an overdose of diazepam. You can overdose of fentanyl. I mean, there's been enough stuff in the media about that recently, people dying of a fentanyl overdose. Um, but we're not sure of the amounts because you can't test these drugs on people to see if it'll actually kill them and if it will kill them in a, a, a means that passes constitutional muster, which means there's not any unnecessary pain and suffering. Now, our Supreme Court has said with our old protocol where we used a, a barbiturate to make somebody unconscious and then a paralytic and then the drug that stopped their heart in um, a U.S. Supreme Court case, uh, Blaze versus Reese, I think it was, they said if that first drug is not working and you're conscious when you get the other two drugs, it would be cruel and unusual punishment by how it kills you. So Nebraska has these four drugs now. We're not sure if the, the diazepam, the fentanyl, will make somebody unconscious. In Nevada, the uh, appellate court there said, look, you can use the first two drugs to, to try to execute somebody. But you can't use that third drug because all that does is paralyze them so you can't see if they're, they're suffering pain, unusual pain and discomfort that they shouldn't be able to by the first two drugs. So Nevada's challenge that is going up to the Supreme Court. And we all, we have that same protocol. So that's, I think, the biggest issue in Nebraska is whether those drugs are going to be uh, constitutional to execute somebody. The state has said, yes, we have a constitutional means, but it's never been used before. All of this happening at the same time that because they won't tell us where they got the drugs, we don't know if they've come from that unair conditioned apartment in India. We don't know if they've been tested by a quality lab. And we're not clear who's doing the execution. Your listeners probably have seen headlines about in other states botched executions. And I just want to stop and say for a moment, I do have friends and family members who occasionally say things like, well, they didn't care if their victims suffered. But we, as a society and under the Constitution, we don't impose suffering. The U.S. Supreme Court has said if you're going to execute people, you must at least do it humanely without undue suffering. Some of those boxed executions have happened because the drugs are bad, and some of them happened because it wasn't medical professionals that did it. We have to lay an IV in someone's vein in order to administer the drugs. Well, heck, Zach, if you gave me a syringe, I might be able to find a vein on you, but I don't do that on a regular basis. And what's happened in some states is it's some corrections guard who does their best, but ends up hitting the muscle instead of a vein, and so then the execution goes badly, even if the drugs were good. Now, Nebraska's procedure is a little bit more specific than that. It does have to be somebody with a little bit of medical training, right? Well, that is usually, again, so much secrecy around this process. As we understand it, someone has been sent for a half-day training on how to do an IV, but they are not someone who's a medical professional, and they don't do it on a regular basis. 
So they went to a community college and took a half-day course and practiced on how to do an IV, and then we asked them, when it comes down to literal life and death, we asked them to do that. Which, I also, just as another side note, we all have read the headlines about how our Department of Corrections is in free fall. They have so many openings and vacancies. There have been fatal riots. There have been assaults on guards. They can't keep and retain high quality people because that department can't get things right. We are asking the men and women who work for the Department of Corrections with inadequate pay and mandatory overtime, we're asking them to, on a daily basis, interact with men that they have to bring trays of food to or take them to see their moms. We're asking them to walk them down that last hallway and to say goodbye to their family. It's not Governor Ricketts who's doing it. It's not judges who are doing it. The impact that the death penalty has on corrections officers is, I think, one of the least discussed aspects of um, why this is a bad scheme. Most of the corrections officials that I've met from other states um, have PTSD who served at executions, and many of them have said things like, well, I thought I could handle it. I volunteered to be on the execution team, and then they couldn't handle it. It's not fair to have a social policy that has all of its weight disproportionately on poor people and people of color who are the prisoners and on the underpaid staff at the corrections facilities. But they also are not trained to put an IV and administer a lethal drug. That's why there's too much uncertainty about who's been trained, for how long, what are the source of the drugs. It is the height of foolishness to move forward with an execution right now with as much secrecy and uncertainty. If with more resolution of some of these legal matters, uh, there is a time when a judge says, I now feel like everybody has adequate information and the execution can proceed. Obviously the ACLU still opposes that, but at least it's being done in the open and with clean hands rather than in this shady, concerning fashion. Todd, I, sorry, Amy, I, I want to get back to one other thing. I, you mentioned the, the drug protocol itself as, a, as an appeals ground. Right. Um, there, I think there's at least one other avenue that, that you'd mentioned um, before, which is uh, a case from Florida, is that right? Right. There's a case out there, it's a Hearst versus Florida, in which um, Florida had a scheme where a jury would find uh, a person guilty, and then they would hear aggravating circumstances and mitigating circumstances and make a recommendation to a judge, and the judge had to take that in consideration, um, but the judge would make the final decision. So there were cases where the jury voted 10 to 2 for a life sentence, and the judge gave a death sentence. Um, in 2002, a case called Ring versus Arizona, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court said, you have a, a right to have a jury make the findings of fact that could result in your execution. Just like the jury gets to make the findings of fact of guilt or innocence, the jury has to, you have a right to have a jury determine if the state has proved those aggravating circumstances beyond a reasonable doubt. That happened in 2002. That's why Nebraska changed its law. Nebraska changed the law so the jury hears evidence about aggravators, they're dismissed, and then judges hear mitigation evidence, weigh the mitigators against the aggravators, and do a proportionality review. The case in Florida, the U.S. Supreme Court said any issue of fact has to be found by a jury. So they sent those cases back down to Florida, and Florida changed the, their law where juries now find aggravators, they find mitigators, they weigh those two together, and they make the decision if a person gets a death sentence. So in Nebraska, 
We don't do that. We only have juries find aggravating circumstances. And it's a fact if you get an execution, whether they find mitigators that outweigh those circumstances or um, if the person with those mitigators, if, if those mitigators outweigh that so that the jury can make that decision. That's a finding of fact. Nebraska doesn't do that. Um, some of the in, people on death row have challenged that, saying this Hearst versus Florida, the Supreme Court says, juries have to make a factual finding of any fact that could result in a death sentence. So that's something that some of the uh, people on death row now are challenging. Uh, I know is it, that's... Is it substantially different um, given that Nebraska has a... It's a three-judge panel here rather than a single judge. Does that does that complicate things? It, it only complicates things in if, if you believe that Hearst's decision says a you have a right to have a jury find aggravators, mitigators, and then weigh them. It's still a problem because in Nebraska, you've got judges who are told the jury found this number of aggravators. You decide mitigators and weigh aggravators and mitigators. The judges don't know how much weight those aggravators have because they're not the ones that found those aggravators. So it's still a problem where in Nebraska we don't have juries determining mitigators. We don't have them doing the weighing. We ask three judges to do it, but when juries say we find this aggravator, they don't say, and we give it a lot of weight, or we found this aggravator, and we give it just a little bit of weight so don't really consider that. Juries don't do that. So judges don't know, these three judges don't know how much weight to give this stuff when they're weighing the aggravators and mitigators. And this is timely because in the appeal from Marco Torres, this issue is being presented to the Nebraska Supreme Court later this month, I believe. Tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock. Um, and uh, John Lauder's appeal that is in progress also raises some of these issues. So this is being debated right now with our Nebraska judiciary, but whether or not it will have any impact on an execution in another case, I think, is the, is the troubling concern right and, now. And that, that raises the other question, and I'll just, uh, uh, Carrie Dean Moore, who's the, the person in the news this week, and, and it's going to be Sunday by the time this goes on the air, but, uh, but um, he, uh, the state's pursuing a death warrant for him. Uh, it, it does not appear uh, that he is necessarily going to fight it. That's unclear, but it looks like that's a big question right now. If someone, not necessarily him specifically, but if someone decides that they are no longer going to fight the death penalty themselves, um, what recourse, if any, do death penalty opponents have to step in and say, this person shouldn't be executed? Yeah, it's hard because I didn't realize until recently that nationwide, one out of ten executed people in America are volunteers. So within the death penalty world, someone who stops fighting their own appeals and just goes ahead and goes limp is referred to as a volunteer. One out of ten stop fighting. And I think that really should make us all question, what are we doing with the conditions on death row where someone would say, I choose to die rather than continue to fight for my life? The reality is that in the legal world, it requires, I, Amy Miller, the ACLU, we can't file lawsuits just because we're fussy about something. We can only take action for someone with standing, someone who says this impacts me and I wish to challenge it. But within the cases that we have filed that I touched on earlier, we are asking uh, the courts to say, with these issues pending, we think it would be imprudent for the Nebraska Supreme Court to go ahead and issue a death warrant so we're hoping that they'll exercise their discretion and reject the Attorney General's invitation. If the DEA acts and just removes those drugs off the shelf, that also could save Mr. Moore despite himself. 
But there is, to answer your fundamental question, very little that can be done to save someone who has said, no, I want to go. All right. Um, well, I think that wraps up my questioning. I don't know if there's anything that I didn't give the two of you time to discuss that you want to make sure gets mentioned here. Well, I, I do this every day for a living, and I could sit here and talk for hours and hours, <laughs> but I'm not going to. Yeah. Um, this, is a, this is obviously the death penalty in Nebraska is not settled despite the repeal and the recall. Um, the state is still actively seeking to get death sentences and as it has been for the last 40 years, there's gonna be a fight and litigation, and we've not executed somebody in Nebraska since 1997. The state really wants to execute somebody, and it may or may not happen, um, but we'll see. Yeah, I would just end that if any of these issues uh, seem interesting to you, if you wanna see a copy of the information, we have all of the lawsuits up on our website, so at aclunebraska.org. And we certainly invite people as well, if they have questions about any of these issues, they're welcome to contact us. Okay, thanks, Amy. Thanks, Todd. That's all for today's show. This has been Fresh Pressed, the Journal Star News Podcast. You can find us online at journalstar.com or subscribe on iTunes and other major podcasting services. I encourage you to also follow our ongoing coverage of the death penalty in Nebraska by reporters Joanne Young and Lori Pilger. Thank you for listening and have a great day.